This episode of Back to the Bins was recorded live before a studio audience. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is a special episode. This is going to be a sequel to one that we put out a little while ago uh, in which we focused on our picks for the underrated talents in comics, the underappreciated talents in comics. This time around, we're going completely the other end of the spectrum. We are going to bring our list of who we feel are the most overrated talents in comics. There is great potential here for abuse and bringing the hate, but we're really going to try our best not to be quite that way. Just really focus on the people that we think uh, ain't so great as all the hype that they get. Anyway, I am Scott Gardner, and I am joined by Michael Bailey. Hello. Chris Honeywell. Yes. (laughs) And Jose Rivera. <laughs> well, it was nice having Jose on. <laughs> so everybody thinks uh, I'm Will Sanchez anyway. <laughs> so how we want to do this, or how I'd like to do this, anyway, you guys, you guys can pick whatever format you you want to use for this. How I'm going to personally do it is uh, how I picked my list was. When, when these names come up, either in, like, say I'm looking at solicits for new books coming out, or I'm digging in 50-cent bins, and I find an issue, and I'm like, ooh, I love the cover on this, and I open it up, and I find one of these names in there, it's, it's the absolute deal breaker for me. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. That's how I compiled my list. And I'm kind of curious, as we go around, I want to know how you guys compiled your list as well. I'm just curious the dynamics that we use, because there there weren't any, like, Rules or guidelines given out ahead of time, so I'm just curious how we all reached what we've got. So, Jose, since you are, uh, this is your first time, and this is your first time to the show, right? Right. Okay. So we're going to go ahead, we'll let you run first, and uh, now are you starting with your number one or your number five and working your way to number one? I don't really have a number, but if I'm going to pick at the top of the list, um, I really... Trying not to be so negative, but I've given this guy so many chances in the past. And to me, he kind of embodies everything that's wrong with comics today. I picked Mark Millar. Ah. There is... I like his stuff on authority, don't get me wrong. But I think as time goes on, you kind of saw he got that rock star mentality that a lot of people on my list have. A lot of his comics are... It's kind of like a 14-year-old boy had written them. Like, if you look at Wanted at the end, how the character kind of gives the readers a middle finger. If you look at Kick-Ass at the end, where, you know, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't read it before, but 
the main character kind of mentions he uses tears as lubricant, and it's 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 something a fourteen year old boy might have liked, but for me, ah, uh, and the fact that he's always late and his head is always in Hollywood, it's I can't buy the hype when I can't enjoy his stories. Okay. Okay, I I, I can kind of agree with that. I've I've read stuff by Mark Millar that I've liked, or Miller, because that's actually apparently how you pronounce it. But I've read stuff by Mark Miller I've liked. I really enjoyed his Superman adventures. And here's the thing about Mark Miller to me, is that he's someone that because his name sells comics, he's given a really wide berth in regards to how to do things. And... I just, I I see interviews with him, and I'm like, okay, this guy, this guy's got a brain in his head. He's obviously got a way of, uh, 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 uh of approaching his stories that to him makes sense. Even though he kind of talks like a, a Scottish version of, of Forrest Gump, because he always kind of goes <laughs> a little high at the end there. You know, when he's talking, everything kind of ends as a sentence, even when it's not a sentence. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll agree with Jose. Yeah, he's. He he's not a bad writer. It's just everything he touches seems to be like this overinflated piece of crap. And then a movie, and then a movie based on the overinflated piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> so who's next? Go ahead, man. Okay, uh, this one's probably going to get letters, but uh, I guess my number. This five whole will... episode's going to get letters, dude. <laughs> Don't let it bother you. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put a sacred cow out there, and I'm gonna put out Jim Lee. It, <laughs> it is not that I think that Jim Lee is a bad artist because he's got talent. I like like his X Men run. I really enjoy, and I like it when he draws Batman. But He's a guy that because he is so lauded in fan circles that he can basically do pretty much whatever he wants in terms of being late, and it's okay. And I hate, hate, fucking hate that it's his run on Superman that is the first Superman thing to get an absolute edition. When I really didn't like his art on Superman. He was not geared for Superman. He really wasn't, and that General Zod armor sucked ass. It was an action figure. And here's my problem, and it's something actually that in an interview Jeff Loeb was saying that this is, you know, when he writes for Jim Lee, this is what he does. He goes, you know, you don't give Jim Lee a scene in a kitchen because he doesn't like drawing things in a kitchen. You give Jim Lee like a, a, a Batmobile with a rocket on the back, and that's where he goes. And I'm like, no, fuck that. If you are going to be a good artist... Just like if you're going to be a good writer, if you're going to be a good artist, then you should be able to draw anything. There should be things you are better at drawing than others. But it's like when I heard Dan DiDio in an interview saying, well, we have trouble finding artists on Jonah Hex because nobody knows how to draw a horse. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? It's your job to learn how to draw shit. You're an artist. You know, yeah, you may not prefer to draw scenes in a kitchen, but God damn it, if you draw a scene in a kitchen, everything should look good. But it's this mentality in comics today where 
well, we don't want to make, you know, we, we want the shit to just sell. So we're not going to think about people stretching their artistic abilities. We're just going to give them what they can do and keep them in a fucking pigeonhole. And Jim Lee is one of the f- worst practitioners and examples of that. So, yeah, I, I, I don't have anything against his art on a technical level because I like it. I don't like his Superman, obviously, and I really fucking hate that a lot of the licensed stuff now is, is all Jim Lee art. Uh, but it's just, I think, I think he's just completely overblown. As an artist. I will buy and that. There is to that. I will buy that. I will absolutely buy that. Cause, uh, I like the guy, don't get me wrong, but, uh, yeah, I remember when he, he did that much lauded hush storyline in Batman uh-huh. and I still to this day don't get it. I mean, it's, it's. You know, however long that story arc runs of a bunch of pretty pictures, and that was about it. I mean, there's I really didn't find much substance or anything to that story. And then he followed it up with that Superman story that ugh, <laughs> was I really did. It, it was just a bad story. It was poorly yeah. written. It was the same goddamn scene for six fucking issues right. of Superman going to a priest and saying, well, let me tell you about my day. Right. <sighs> Sorry, I don't mean... I've had a long day. And this is, <laughs> no, that's excellent. This I, I, so I like being off the hook for being the person that's going to be running <laughs> in hate and negativity for this one. That's awesome. Chris, what do you got? Well... I mean, um, first I'll say I didn't quite like pick people that I hated because even people that I hated might not be actually overrated. I tried to pick people that had already gotten some, you know, have gotten a lot of hype or are acknowledged maybe like in people's top 100 list or stuff. And a lot of them I actually, I actually own comics by all of them and some of them are actually some of my favorite comics. But that does still doesn't mean that they deserve, you know, the insane godlike adoration that some of them still have, you know. And top on my list is Frank Miller. Someone who I I mean was fundamental in my early Word. days of comics of blowing my mind of what comics could be and uh you know, off the, uh, especially off the rack like when he did start doing Daredevil and uh started reading those, oh my god. You know, I had no idea that comics could be that that good and gritty. And uh, he just sort of steadily, I don't know if he went as far as as much as downhill or just went to a point where he was irrelevant, you know, where he just wasn't saying or doing anything new. He was just sort of, you know, coasting on on his past accomplishments Right. I mean, I think the last thing that I really loved that he did was that Martha Washington comic that he wrote. The first Martha... I haven't read the second series of Martha Washington comics, but the first one was great. It was fun. And, uh... Ah, Sin City was sort of, like, seemed to hit one note. You know, it, it was really cool at first, and then it just seemed to keep hitting the same note over and over again. And ever since then... You know, I mean, I think the Spirit movie was pretty much the capper for me as far as that goes. And, and maybe that might have put a dent in his overratedness. That might, you know, have been a chink in his armor. Let's hope. But, yeah, that would be uh, that would be my first pick. Okay. 
And I have a ton of Frank Miller comics. I got a whole section of Frank Miller comics. Like I say, like like I prefaced with before, mine strictly just come from deal you know, breakers. Yeah, this you know these names come up, and it's just bleh, you know I, I, I'm just not interested, or or it's hard to slog through if it's something I you know quote unquote need to read or something like that. So anyway, I actually ranked mine. So going from number five to number one, five being you know tolerable to number one just being pff, no fucking way. So number five on my list, Alex Toth. I know he's a legend. I know that there's a hell of a lot of people out there that think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Never could fucking stand him. And I don't like anybody who draws like him either. And there's a whole slew of them that do. Like Dan Spiegel, I think is slavish to his style. There's there's just a whole bunch of them. Uh, you know, got nothing against the guy personally. I, I know that he, uh, you know, supposedly brought a whole lot of innovation and blah, blah, blah to comics. I just don't like his style. Um, and every once in a while, uh, I'll open some book. And uh, the one that really stands out to me is there's a uh, one of those giant oversized DC books. And I don't know which one it is. It's like limited collector's edition or one of those. And it's the Super Friends. I remember buying that as a kid and being so excited because I loved the Super Friends. And you open it up and it's all Alex Toth art. And I was just like, oh, God. You know, and there's issues of Batman with like these awesome, awesome Neil Adams covers. And I'd get them home to read them as a kid. and It'd be an Alex Toth story inside. I'd be like, fuck. So (laughs) sorry to all the (laughs) Alex Toth fans out there. I just can't stand this guy. So. All right, back to uh, Jose. Um, well, another one I had is kind of in the same league as Miller, and it's Brian Hitch. And I know a lot of people like Brian Hitch, but it my list comprises basically of people who are notorious for being late. And there's one thing I hate in comics, it's lateness. I got you I there, mean, yeah. The fact that we're paying like so much money for single issues now, and we have to cater to these rock star mentalities, and people can be late. I mean, I understand if you have a sickness, a death in the family, but for people like Hitch and Millar and all these people who they'll take movie deals or take on too many books, that's kind of the, the defining point for me. And with Hitch, I love his art, but every time I picked up a book, I've been burned by him. So eventually, anytime I saw his name in a solicit, I, I couldn't pick it up anymore. There was just no point because I knew I would enjoy the story and it'd be about half a year until I can enjoy the next part. Cool. Now, I also want to hear as we do this, if if we have any disagreements within the group, I definitely want to hear that, too. No, I I agree with him. I like Hitch's art, but it's just like, Jesus, we shouldn't. I understand that artists today put a little more detail into their work uh, as far as just sitting there and slaving over it and trying to make the best pinup shot they can so they can later sell it at a convention and, uh, you know, make some money off of it. I understand the, the complications that come from that. But, uh, you know, Jack Kirby put a lot of fucking detail on his art, and he cranked out like 60 books a month. So <laughs> I hate the lateness. Well, you want it to be good, right? That's, that's their defense. That's always their defense. Well, you want it to be good, right? You don't want to fill in, do you? Because, you know, people don't like fill-ins. 
no, I want you as a professional periodical publisher to have your shit on time. Right. And if your rock star fucking artist or writer can't get their shit together for whatever reason, and, you know, illness, death in the family, stuff like that, I can totally understand that. That's right. Then this is what you do. When you know you have an artist like that, you get all six fucking issues in the can. Yeah. Before you Dang. solicit issue one. Yeah. Hey, Amen, oh, brother. Stop, and stop previewing shit a year and a half in advance because by the time it comes out i don't give a fuck who was it that did uh that wolverine hulk book uh lennon you i think it was yeah now i'm you know that was not, the writer though oh was it the right okay it was okay. he was a writer, writer the guy who lost actually yeah i'm talking about the artist i think his name is lennon lennon lionel you yeah yeah oh it wasn't his fault i thought it was his fault Oh. No, it was, I, as far as I know, it was the artist taking his sweet time. That's what I thought, yeah. Well, what I was going to say, and if I'm wrong, somebody feel absolutely free to call me out on this if I'm completely wrong, but my impression was that that was the artist. And again, wasn't there at least two years between like the last issue and then when they resumed the thing? Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. All right. I just got to call a spade a spade. How the fuck is this guy still got a job? I mean, two years? Are you fucking kidding me? For what was this like a? I think it was a four or six issue miniseries, and he's not to anything. I mean, he's not even. I mean, he's not alone in this. I mean, Kevin Smith has pulled this shit, and he's pulled it because he's Kevin Smith, and that's bullshit. You know, somebody somewhere needs to say, you know, I'm sorry, we don't really care who you are. Get the shit in on time or you're done, you know, period. Cause, yeah, I, I completely agree with both you guys. That rock star mentality is horseshit. Um, my next choice. No, I'll save him for number one. Because um, <laughs> he's the one that's going to get me in trouble, I think. And I'm not really doing this to get into trouble. I'm not, I'm not doing this to stir the pot. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, you know, kind of got, you know, I'm, I'm sick of just, you know, soft pedaling on this shit and people bending over and kissing these people's ass. Uh, my next one has to be, and I, oh God, who do I want to do? I'm sorry. I don't mean to waffle guys. I apologize. It's just, I've got a bunch of names in my head and choosing the next one to talk about is, is kind of, uh, kind of difficult to uh, to narrow down in terms of, of who I actually want to talk about. But um, let's see. Chris, could you go ahead and do yours and then come back to me? I'm sorry. I got I to gotta sure. sort this shit out in my head. <laughs> my number two is Todd McFarlane. Who, I don't know, <laughs> is he still overrated? Um, I never really, liked uh, I- it's not really an issue anymore, actually. Yeah, I guess uh, he yeah. doesn't do anything anymore. He still makes action figures, right? Yeah, he's kind of a non-entity because he doesn't really do like anything in comics anymore. But well, I'll back up in the essence that he may not be currently overrated. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't. I wasn't really into what he was doing when he was uh, in. Dis- I was. I, I, I thought the art was pretty good at first, and then after a while. I don't know. It, it just I wasn't really into his whole Spawn or Spider-Man thing that he was going. And he's he's the only one on there that I was really like 
I just don't see the big deal. You know, I never was interested. I never got the hype. I was just like, eh, you know, he's got his own style. It was maybe because he started out really young and that made it more exciting or something. But yeah, never did it for me. All righty. This one won't get <laughs> that buy enough time. <laughs> yeah, that, that bought me enough time. Thank you. Dance. <laughs> it's almost like that family guy thing. It's Let's like, you know, play me out. Yeah. But, uh, Brian Michael Bendis. And I know it's very popular to pick on Brian Michael Bendis. So I'm not going to try to I'm not going to try to uh overly repeat what other people have said and I'm not going to try, I'm going to try definitely not to sound like a message board post. But here's the problem with Brian Michael Bendis and why I think he's overblown is because it seems like he's he's like got his fingers in everything in Marvel. And it, and he is indicative of a problem that I see in both companies right now. Because when I was coming up in comics and and Scott and, and Chris I know can back me up cuz you know even though they're a little older, they came up in a similar environment is that you didn't have two artists working or two writers controlling everything going on in the universe. No, it was all over the place. You know, especially when I was growing up, there were it was like DC had fiefdoms where you had the Superman group and the Flash group and the Green Lantern group and the Batman group, and we all got together to do those crossovers. But other than that, you had different worlds that you could go and jump into. They were connected in that they existed in the same universe and would cross over every once in a while. But if you didn't want to read Batman, you weren't going to get, uh, you know, you could just draw, you didn't have to. And everything was different. There wasn't this homogenized writing style and art style amongst the books. Everything had their own feel. And with putting so much control, it's like, you know, I, I, I look on Facebook and Brian Michael Bendis's tweets are, are sent directly to Facebook. He's like, just was just on a conference call, you know, with the Thor movie people. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing on the phone with the movie people? I mean, I understand that he's a writer, but it seems like all the writers are involved. They're involved in the movies and all the comics, and there's the you know you know everything is decided ahead of time, and I think that's taking away some of the spontaneity of the universe, and it's really killing different voices coming in and trying to di- tell different styles. Again, I understand that they have found an economic model that works for them. And since comics are dying, they're going to grab onto that and fucking hold on to that like it's Linus in his fucking blanket. But I think it's it's one of the things that's really killing comics is because everything sounds the same. The same. And Brian Michael Bendis is very good with street-level characters, but once he starts writing superheroes, it's like, ah, I'm a kid in a candy store. Blah, 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 blah. You know, my friend George Berriman put it best uh, when he was describing Brian Michael Bendis' writing style. He goes, I read an issue of Ultimate Spider-Man where for three pages it was really like, no way, yeah, really, uh-huh, no way, yeah, no, yeah, really, uh-huh. No way. It's like listening to fucking teenagers talk at the mall, which from what I understand is <laughs> is is where he got his where he would study his subjects. 
And it's just like, look, if I wanted to re you know, see realistic teenagers, I'd stay away from that because I'm thirty four years old and would be considered a pervert. But I just want to read a story that's entertaining and that moves fast. Don't spend six pages on a character staring at a fucking bowl of soup. Or James Robinson spending an entire year making Mon El the most boring character in, in comics. Ah, fuck. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> what? Oh, man. We found the perfect fucking stress reliever for you after the day you've had today. This is awesome. Yeah, really, man. You need to call up whenever you have a bad day and set up a show. I'm telling you, dude. I don't want to be known as that guy, though. I really don't. No, no. I want you to be known as that guy because then I'm not going to be no longer going to be known as that guy. Scott wants a new lightning rod going on. Yeah, he's sick of being the... Yep. (laughs) <laughs> That's perfect. Next. All right. <clears throat> I just want to reiterate these are my opinions, okay? Art is a very subjective thing, you know? Um what is beautiful to one person is crap to another person and vice versa. So while I'm not saying to anybody don't write in or whatever at the same rate, just keep that in mind. Okay. That, that everybody has their different likes and dislikes because as I progress through my list, I am certain that there are going to be people out there listening to this that are going to get progressively more fucking pissed off with me. All right. I apologize. That's okay, Scott. That's what I'm here for tonight. (laughs) I'm just saying that because you know, I'm not doing this to be a contrarian or all the other shit I always get accused of. I'm just telling you, these are my picks. These are the people that just... All right. So anyway, with that out of the way, number four, Joe Kubert. I'm sorry. I never liked this guy's art. And all you have to do is listen to any of the recent... He almost made my list. Yeah, <laughs> just listen to any of the recent episodes of Tales of the Tales. Day, and it's, it's all explained for you right there why I don't like him. But it, but in brief, here it is: it's a scratchy, unfinished style that I can't stand. And any artist that draws that way, I just don't like it. It just looks incomplete to me. I realize that he's got oodles and legions of fans. You know, I, I'm just not one of them, and. Uh, you know, Tales of the JSA, uh, or excuse me, uh, why did I say that? Um, All-Star Squadron, rather. I mean, I love that book, and I w- I'm a huge fan of that. But I see those covers that he did, and I, d- I couldn't wait to get past that stuff. You know, as far- just because of the covers, it just puts me off. And you, you had... We didn't mention in the in the last episode we just recorded five minutes before this one <laughs> is that there's a letter writer in that issue in issue seven that says he doesn't like the Kubert covers either. Oh, good, good. Maybe it's a maybe it's a prejudice because I was never a war comics fan. I, I think maybe I if there is a I don't know if this analogy follows. See if you follow me here. If there is a Jonah Hex of war comics, I'd love to find it. You know what I mean? But I just never did. 
and whatever I have ever read of war comic, I just didn't like it. And they all seem to be drawn by Joe Kubert. So it was one of those things where I just kind of write off the entire genre because it all seemed the same to me. But war comics were easy for me to ignore. I didn't like the genre, so I didn't have to worry about it. It was out in its own left field somewhere. But whenever Joe Kubert would come over and do mainstream books, you know, I don't know, Superman or, or All-Star or whatever, it would just piss me off because it would be like, dude, go, go play in your own fucking sandbox. Leave mine alone, you know? And it just irritated me. And thank God it was mostly covers. I mean, I, I rarely ever run across anything in my own collection where he actually did the interior stuff. So... I can kind of live with it as long as it's just covers. I'm not, you know, it, it doesn't thrill me, but it could have been worse. <laughs> and that should be enough fuel for some hate mail right there. <laughs> next. Well, the next one I have, and I pretty much know I'm going to hell for this one because I don't like to speak ill of the dead. <laughs> Michael Turner. Oh. There, there's a period about three to five years ago where I have to sit through so many solicits that would make a special note that it has a Michael Turner variant cover. And I looked at it and I asked why <laughs> a lot of his stuff is either, it's either pinup or it's that really scratchy sketch black and white variant that they like to do. Yeah. I just, I just don't like his art. Like you said the same thing about, you know, Qbert. I have that same problem. I don't like that scratchy style. You look at his flash, you look at his Hawkman and they're disgusting looking. They don't look like heroes. They look like Halloween costumes. But because his stuff sells and he does scantily clad women, everybody loved him. And now that he's dead, everybody loves him. Mm -hmm. I'm personally not a fan. He was, For me, he was one of those guys where I, I didn't like him or dislike him. He was just another comics artist, if you know what I mean. So... I, you know, going strictly by the title of this one of, of overrated, I, I can see that because I never really saw what the big deal was. I just thought, eh, he's, he's another, you know, he's another artist like all the other artists. What, what makes this particular guy special? So yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from on that. Yeah. All righty. <clears throat> Again, in my unintentional desire to get hate mail. <laughs> Uh, I mentioned him briefly in the last rant, and I'm going to try to turn this into not a rant, uh, because I totally failed in my attempt to not sound like I'm on a message board. Um, <laughs> You're fucking slaying me tonight, dude. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I failed spectacularly, and I yes. guess that's the important thing. <laughs> you know, if you're going to go out, go out with a bang. Uh, James Robinson. And I'll tell and I'll and I'll tell you why. My heart. No, what, hold up, hold up. This one <laughs> does have an explanation behind it. Three years ago. No, scratch that. Two years ago. If you he killed come, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my name is Michael Robert Bailey. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Um. But. If you would have come to me two years ago and said, Mike, you're going to get to the point where you don't want to even see James Robinson's name on a book, I would have punched you dead in the face. Mm -hmm. Starman? Mm -hmm. Holy shit. It's the reason holy I went to college. Shit. <laughs> That's random, but okay. Uh no, he's got. you got to explain that, dude. I need to know what you're talking about with that. Yeah. I don't want to undercut his point. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. Starman was great. Golden Age, fucking spectacular. 
all of that, uh, you know, you can't touch it. You can't touch it in terms of character. You can't touch it in terms of plot. You can't touch it in terms of, I got to read this again and again and again. He came back to DC, and I don't know if something happened while he was off in Hollywood working there, because he wrote the script to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And he wrote and directed a movie called Comic Book Villains, which I am very fond of. But he came on to Superman, and I was kind of interested, because it's like, okay, I really like his Starman. And he proceeded to start doing these quiet little introspective stories in a book where, you know, you don't need Superman beating somebody's ass every issue. Uh, But it would be nice if we just didn't have months and months where nothing seems to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they took Superman out of Superman, and he was dealing with Monel. And I'm not joking; he made Monel boring. He made one of the most interesting characters in the Legion of Superheroes, to me, in in any incarnation, even in the uh, post-crisis era. He made him like this whiny emo guy that wants to sit in a coffee shop and learn how to be human because he's dying, you know. And that's interesting. That's fascinating. Not in the middle of your big storyline where there's 100,000 Kryptonians, you know, like on the other side of the sun. You know, and, and, and then he did an entire issue that was nothing but set up for everyone else's stories. I swear to God, that issue of Superman, I forget issue number, I felt like it should be one of those dollar books because that's exactly. how it was set up. And then he did JLA Cry for Justice Ooh. or Justice League Cry for Justice where I was really liking it until those last two issues where he was just, where he just went and took, he took everything that was cliched about DC going dark and edgy and made it like 30 times that, but we're not kidding. This is how it's really going to be. And it's just like, who the hell are you? You wrote fucking Starman. You reignited the JSA in 1999. What happened? Seriously. Your name used to be gold. Now I don't want to read anything you do. And that's sad. That that makes me literally like upset that I feel that way. But I feel that way. Now, Jose, explain how he made you go to college. <laughs> oh, okay. I was in high school, and I was picking up a lot of trades at the library. And I used to love the Wolfpate and Starman. So I picked up the trade of a Wicked Inclination, and that was my first introduction to his writing in Starman. I had never seen anything like that before. So for me, like, the more I read it, the more I started learning about, you know, things I was aware of but wasn't aware of, like story arcs, characterization and stuff. I was thinking about getting into writing. That book cemented the idea that, yes, maybe I should try this. So I kept going to that book, and eventually I decided I wanted to go to college to start writing, and every time a professor asked me, you know, like, why are you here? I would kind of point to that book. So eventually, I went from class to class, English class. Everybody kept asking me about this book. I showed it to one of my professors. He said, Jose, I think you should try switching your major from liberal arts to creative writing if you're this passionate about it. And because of that book, I did. So now I have a AA and BA in creative writing because of that book. Oh, wow. Oh, awesome story. You Are you disappointed play. in how things happened? Everything you said, totally agree with, because it was getting to the point I was picking up Cry for Justice just for his little letters in the back of the book, as opposed to the actual comic itself. He should let uh, Robinson know that. I mean, I, seriously, I would write him and, and let him know just what you know, just what you told us, because I think that's very cool. 
that you know that he actually inspired you to do that. I would, but it's like one of those things where you really don't want to meet your heroes. Like you're afraid of being disappointed, so that's always in the back of my mind. I can, I can, totally, I can, totally, I can totally relate to that. I, I can. See I think. That. I think it would be more for his sake. I think it would just. Yeah, you may not meet him. You may not even hear back at him, but it, it would make him feel good. But maybe you guys want to punish him a little bit, it sounds like. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not that I have anything against him personally. You know, nothing I was saying in there was like J- James Robinson's an asshole and he needs to die and, you know, burn. You know, I don't want to go scorch earth on his house or anything. But at the same time, it's just like it's really disappointing to see somebody to to feel that way about somebody you you uh, that I that I once held in such high esteem, but I'm that way about DC in general right now. So maybe I'm not right. the most rational one to talk about this. I don't know. the The only thing I can chime in and say is that while I see what you're saying and I agree with many of your points, I'm going to remain undecided because. I know that you don't completely agree with this, Mike, but, you know, Chris and I were talking a while ago, and I think it was on Comics Monthly Monday, the last one, but I forget. But somewhere or other, we were talking about how there's certain creators will forgive them their weird, strange, fucky indulgences because of some past accomplishment that they had. And so far... The shit that Robinson is currently producing doesn't uh, balance out or or outweigh or anything or even come close to um, destroying the goodwill he generated with me personally with Starman. So at the moment, I'm willing to put him in that camp of, you know what? Uh, you're cool with me. I'll, I'll forgive you, you know, having a speed bump here because of the awesome you brought before. But if he continues in this vein, then ask me again in a couple years because I, I probably would be completely on board. And, and, I, and I totally agree with that. It's, it's like, you know, you, you mentioned just now that I, I, I didn't quite agree with you and, and you and I had kind of talked about that. So I guess this is as good as time as any to kind of bring it up in a public forum is that I am completely the opposite on that. Basically, to me, if you have generated a lot of goodwill with me, and it's not like me personally, but if, but if, you, have, if you have created a standard for yourself and you go out of that standard, I don't care who you are, I'm, you know, you're going to get called on it. And I understand you and Chris's uh, point of view. I really do. Don't think that I'm just I'm trying to say you're wrong or anything. Cause no, no. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel that way at all. Well, I'll put it this way. There's only certain people that get away with that. There's some yeah. people who might have the same track record as someone else, but I just like that person better. So I'll, I'll get, you know, like Shatner. I'll let Shatner slide with a lot of shit. Just because of Kirk, it yeah. was, you know somebody who's shaped something so completely. I will give them. I'll say, well, yeah, no, maybe the maybe well, he had a bad day. Ask, let me ask you though: year, they've been spending time raising their children more than thinking about comics or something. Who knows? Or you know, but but if it's somebody that I'm not so fond of, I'll have no such mercy on them. Well, let me ask you, though, does that is that fair, though? Because 
I, you know, I, w- I was listening recently to a to an episode of Views. It's not I wish I could fair, remember but that's the way it is. Well, I wish I could remember what episode it was. But you were saying something about, and I, I completely agree with this, by the way. But you were saying something about how fair weather uh, Atlanta sports fans are, especially uh, I think it was the Falcons you were talking about. You know, when they're winning, everybody loves them. But the minute they start losing or, or whatever, then, you know, they they abandon them like rats deserting a sinking ship. Isn't this kind of the same thing? You know, no. you, you, you love artist X or writer X when they're knocking it out of the park. But as soon as they start to suck, then they suck and everybody's running them down. I You know, well, I, I, I I'm not so much agreeing with the hive mind tech, uh, mindset that everyone should jump on and hate the guy. Right. I am speaking purely from my own thing and keep in mind scott i stuck with the superman books that he was writing for two years before i gave it up (laughs) even though he's off of it so it's not like i didn't like this one story and i'm just like oh he fucking sucks right right you know it took it took me going month after month month after month okay i'm gonna read this issue and it's gotta be better it's just gotta be better this is a guy that wrote starman you know but you know i just and i'm not saying that I'm going to run them down. This is probably outside of making pithy comments every once in a while. This is going to be like the only time I'm ever really going to address this mm-hmm. because, you know, I've said my piece and that's all that really needs to be said. You know, you know, I, jokes are one thing, but you know, may, you know, getting on a soapbox every five minutes is just going to, it's counterproductive to everything really. Right. So, but uh, no, I see your point though. That, that is a, uh, that is something that comic fans do tend to do is that, you know, it, it, Billy Bob Thornton had a great line in the movie Primary Colors. I don't know if anybody has seen this movie. I love it. It's uh, basically a, uh insider's look at the Clinton campaign from 1992 with John Travolta as a Bill Clinton character and Emma Thompson as the Hillary character. And Billy is Bob Billy Thornton, Bob, is he the raging Cajun? Yes, actually, he pretty much is. Yeah. And he has this line. He goes, they love you, and then they stop loving you. And that's a perfect way to describe the group mindset of comic book, comic fans. Yep. They love you, but when, but when enough of them turn, you might as well just get out of the fucking game. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying this is me personally against James Robinson. Cool. Who's up next? Chris? I think that was the most. <laughs> uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I think that was a good debate, actually. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you know, please don't misunderstand me. I wasn't like you know trying to set you up or, or anything oh, like that. Just, I was That's just trying to I liked it. clarify the the point there and 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 see both sides of it because, like I say, I do agree with you, but I'm I'm not ready to to. To, you're not ready to write them off yet, and that's fine. Yeah, I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah, because it does bother me what you – because you're absolutely right. That group mindset thing you were just talking about, this is my uh, issue with fandom when it comes to, say, John Byrne. Because I, I think that's very much the mentality that, you know, at one you time – that's probably who we were talking about when that subject came up was yeah, John Byrne. It is. And, Al, and Alan Moore. And Alan Moore, yeah. yeah. John, John Byrne. Yeah. And, it, and it, I, I – if there's one thing, one popular trend in all of fandom 
that I wish I could get my hands around the, the collective throat of fandom, it's burn bashing because it fucking pisses me off. It just fucking infuriates me. It really does. But that's that's a whole different subject. But, you know, so I agree with what you're saying. They love you until they don't love you. And that's exactly what happened to Burn. He, he was he was the fucking golden boy till all of a sudden he wasn't. And now he's a piece of shit, son of a bitch, scumbag. And it's like, how the fuck do you get there? How did that's that how it, That's how it works in fame and fortune, yeah. no matter where yeah, you I are. Know. They build you up just to tear you down. <laughs> Josh, Josh Bertone thinks I'm talking about him. <laughs> no, I'm not, Josh. He says, here we go. <laughs> Josh Bertone, one of the most overrated comic book fans of all time. Yeah. Josh, just 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 keep this in mind, Josh. Any any time you think we're talking about you, we are. He makes a good point. He makes an excellent point. This is what he just it's wrote. It's not he us. Says, it's the voices in your head that are. <laughs> he says my issue is that even if someone has a legitimate issue or concern with a burn comic, then it's burn bashing. All of a sudden, you can't have a middle ground. And you know, he he makes an excellent point. That it, is, no, that, that that's a great point. It is a great point. because you know. My number one is going to be one of those things where people are probably going to go, what the hell happened to you? Did you have a brain aneurysm sometime in the last week? Who are you and what the fuck have you done with Mike Bailey? Right. But, you know, at, at some point, you just got to kind of look at some people and go, look, you started out great, but something went awry somewhere along the way. I'm not saying that in right. the case of Burn. In fact, your take on Burn, I completely agree with. Right. So... I say I wonder if maybe maybe Josh just hasn't heard me talk about other eras of Burn because you take Burn from his beginnings through when he left Superman and I I I put him over anybody during that period. I think he was the pinnacle during that period and I am perfectly willing to play Burn apologist through all of that. You get me post Superman with Burn, it's a whole different fucking story because yeah, I've got plenty of issues with him. My biggest issue being and I got called out on this on some message board somewhere. I think it was uh Oh shit, I can't remember the name of it now. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But anyway, I got called out because when he announced he was going to work on Blood of the Demon I posted right in the thing, Vern, what the fuck are you doing, man? Who gives a fuck about the demon? This shit is beneath you. And man, I'm telling you, people went fucking crazy, you know? But in my opinion, it was. You're the master. You've been to the fucking pinnacle of the mountain. Why are you working on shit? Why are you doing fucking Doom Patrol and the demon and lab rats and all that shit that he was doing? So, you know, by no means am I an a burn apologist who's going to make excuses for, you know, everything he's ever done. And I love every single line he ever drew. I, you got the wrong guy. It's not me. It's just, you know, it, it, it's, it, I, I wish he was as great as he used to be. <laughs> that, that's the big thing for me. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to get off on John Byrne. Chris? Yeah, you're next, Chris. My next? Yes. <laughs> mine, is, mine is another that, that uh, it remi what you were saying, uh, Scott, about Qbert was is a lot like my next one. And 
Not to say that there's not a lot of these this guy's comics that I actually own and love, but uh, Howard Chaikin. Not a big fan of. It's that same the sketchiness mm-hmm. you're talking about, and uh, I remember actually you you're the one who who told me about Black Kiss comics. I like the Black Kiss comics, but there was still I was actually I just sort of like I was going through my comics and I saw those and I pulled those out. And he went through that whole period where – was he doing all his art on like a Macintosh? You know, I, like the I old th- Macintosh, like Mac Paint or something like that? I think he's one of the earliest artists to start experimenting with with the – I don't even know what they call it exactly. But it's like using a computer to draw basically. Yeah, yeah. And he's, I think he's he kind of a American forefather. Flag like that yeah, too. Yeah. And, that was, and I remember American Flag was a big deal when it came out and – I just there there's something sketchy and and not that I don't like sketchiness like uh Sinkevich. I can look at uh, my roommate just got uh Dazzler the motion picture at Barnes and Nobles used the other day for <laughs> five bucks and and she's like, Look at this beautiful Sinkevich cover and I'm like, Yeah, too bad the art inside isn't <laughs> Yeah. Who is that? It's, I think it's Vinnie Coletta inked it, but who drew the book? Because I, yeah, it's I can't not remember. Very it good. was the same guy who it was the same guy who was drew for most of Dazzler's run, and it reminded me of like Barbie comics or something like that. You know? <laughs> but yeah, Howard, I just I never, I, I I think he's a good artist. I just never saw the like I don't know the genius of of him maybe or. Whatever I de- I definitely have never been drawn to his stuff except for really the Black Kiss. Did you ever read the four issue Shadow miniseries that that kind of brought the Shadow back to modern audiences? Did you ever read that? No, but I remember you telling me it was really good. I remember actually quite a few people telling me that was really good, and maybe that's why I shied away from it. Is I probably found out it was his art and was like, well, okay. I would have loved to. I, I, you know, I, you know who I would have loved to seen that is Gene Colan do that. Would have oh been hell yeah, yeah. Shadow, yeah. Just, just, just some colors and uh, some half tone washes and pencils would have looked beautiful that way. But uh, I can't I disagree with that. you though because his modern stuff. Because he took over. Um, Mike, help me out. Was it Hawkman or Hawk Girl by that point? When uh, Hawk Girl, Hawk Girl, yeah, I loved that title. But as soon as he came on it, I, I I had to bail because I just could not, I couldn't get into it. You know, I liked his older stuff. I liked uh, like his Shadow stuff, but yeah, his modern stuff, yeah, somewhere along the line, he just, I think he kind of lost it, or he lost me anyway. Ooh, that was the conversation killer, right? <laughs> well, I guess you're, you're you're up next, aren't you? Am Scott? I up next? All right. Well, you know, this subject keeps coming up of the scratchy art style. Well, here you go. We have the king of the scratchy art style. If we haven't gotten letters yet in the show, here you go. We are going to get letters now. John Ramita Jr. Ooh. This guy used to be great. I loved his Iron Man stuff. I loved Contest of Champions. I love a lot of his early stuff. But at some point, he just fucking jumped the shark. He he did something to his art style. 
And I, I'm sorry, I can't candy coat it. He just, he fucked up his art style for whatever reason. I don't know if he was trying to emulate somebody or he just decided that, you know, he, he needed to shake things up or he got lazy or what happened. But I look at his stuff on the X-Men in the, what was that? It was either late 80s or early 90s. And then I look at his stuff on that god-awful um, Daredevil Man Without Fear series. And I just can't stand it. And he's never really recovered. Uh, I mean, I, I, his Spider-Man stuff that he was doing on, you know, when Spider-Man came back and it was Spider-Man Volume 2. Uh, or amazing, it was Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2. I couldn't stand that. I just, I look at his modern art. And I'm, I can't even believe it's the same guy. Because that Iron Man stuff he was doing back in the 70s was fucking awesome. It was beautiful. Gorgeous art. And just somewhere along the line, he, he completely lost me. I know that he's got huge... I mean, Deemer swears by the guy. But I just... Yeah, he, he's definitely one of those... I see him on something and I just... I want to cry. Because when they announced Thor coming back with uh, with Heroes Return, I was so excited because it was Dan Jurgens was going to write it, but then it was Ramita Jr. drawing it, and I had to slog through that stuff. Loved the stories, but I hated the art. Hated the art. I thought he did a terrible Thor, and I just yeah, I just I just can't get behind the guy anymore. I wish he would draw the way he used to, you know. And I know that I've heard. A lot of times over the years, the artists hate that shit. When people say, why don't you draw like you used to draw? And they get all pissed off and defensive about it. But God damn it, when you were good, <laughs> why don't you draw like that? You know, when when you're just, you're not any good anymore or, or you've mutated so far from the thing that made you what you are, you know, a, a superstar or major rep or whatever, why, why would you want to mess with that formula? I don't, I just don't understand it. But you know, I'm not an artist either. So, what do you what do you guys think? I blame Millar or Miller. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far. I I, I actually enjoy his his style, so it's not something that I can really agree with. But it's just one of the. It comes down to as you said in the beginning of this. It's it's sensibilities and it's and it's art, artistic preferences. You know, you don't like it. I do. I think recently his style has gotten to the point where it looks like all he's doing is rough outlines mm -hmm. and they're coloring it. Right. Whereas on that, you know, the Thor work you cited and the man without fear, I thought it was a lot tighter. I think, I think the main thing that happened is somewhere around the time during Anne Nascenti's run of Daredevil, he started drawing like Frank Miller and he never shook that. Right. So I wouldn't call him a poor man's Frank Miller. Cause I think it's actually, he does Frank Miller better than Frank Miller these days. Uh, but but uh, I, I, I can agree with you recently, but I actually kind of have to part ways with you over certain some of the earlier stuff that you were talking about. Fair enough. All right, we're back I'd, up. I, I, would be, I would be with Michael with that, saying I could actually see myself liking a little more Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. Yeah. <laughs> Like in a like in a slash fix sort of way. Or? <laughs> uh, well, 
<laughs> if somebody wants to write that, you know, I think Frank Miller would love to see. He loves to see his name in print. I don't know how, how John Romita Jr. would feel about it. If I, I think Frank Miller would like to write some slash fig, fiction with Frank Miller and Frank Miller personally. Jose, that was a conversation. Yes. <laughs> You're up next, Jose. Okay, I'm going after a big fish now, and I pray this isn't anybody. This isn't on anybody's list. But I'm going after Jeff Loeb. When I was starting to pick up comics again in the late 90s, I was picking up Superman. And I love Joe Kelly on Action Comics, and I like Jeff Loeb on Superman. Then Our Worlds at War came out, and I kind of start seeing the chinks in the armor, and then Superman Batman came out, and they start becoming more evident. So the years go by, I try to cut him a break because I love the Superman stuff. And somebody says, you have to read this. And they give me Hulk number one. And I could not understand what the hell I just read. <laughs> the same friend decides, okay, just, just keep reading. Trust me. I mean, Jeff Loeb's like one of the greatest writers. He's working on Heroes. He's worked on Lost. Give him another shot. I said, sure. Everything I read from him now, it just seems so bland. But because it's his name, it's selling very well. And because now he's like Joe Quesada's best friend in the world, you know once Quesada steps down... Loeb's going to take over. And I have no real problem with him, but his storytelling I, skills have decreased over the years. I'll, I'll agree with that. And, and here's the sad thing is, is I can pinpoint when it happened. And this is not giving the man, an, this is not me trying to excuse or defend him, so please don't take it like that. But it was really after his son died. Right. I totally agree. Uh, something happened because I'm like you. I I was really nervous at the regime change in 1999 of the Superman books. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of disagree. I think Joe Kelly was very hit and miss with his Superman work, but he's hit and miss with everything. Right. So you know that, that that's a constant with him. But Loeb was what kept me going for a while. And when Superman Batman came out, that was like my lifeline in a sea of crap. Because that was when Stephen T. Siegel and, and, and Joe oh, Casey God. were working on the books. You know, I really look at that as my Vietnam. But <laughs> to, to, to me, right after his son died, his, his sensibilities of what a comic story should be changed. And I don't know if one has to do with the other. I, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and play armchair psychologist and sound like I should be on the. You know, like I should be on Oprah and two weeks later have my own show. Uh, that'd be cool because I'm sure it would pay very well. But I'm not going to do that because Oprah's a fucking cancer on society. But yes, I even turned. Uh, God, we managed to slam Oprah in this episode. We're, that bitch needs to die. <laughs> we're taking everybody on. Uh, but yeah, right that's after like that, fish in a bucket, man. Right after. <laughs> After his son died, and he went from Marvel, I mean DC to Marvel, uh, I've liked some of his Hulk run, but his whole thing now is just, in listening to interviews with him, it's, you know, he, he said something to the effect of in this one interview that, you know, do you really want to see Clark Kent reporter, you know, doing reporter things? No, yes. you want to see Superman. And I went, hell yeah, I want to see Clark Kent reporter doing things. By the way, you wrote that better than most people jackass so it, it, it breaks my heart because i used to love his comics but there got to a point where well, there was a point where i think it was around return to new return to krypton too that i could see you know he loves 
the Silver Age, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I grew up post-Crisis Superman. So it, it's kind of, he doesn't do it on purpose, like he wanted to reintroduce Supergirl, but it's it's the way certain things are done, that they're like, this is what I'm saying is going to stick now. Whatever happened before, that's fine, but this is what's going to stick. If you don't like it, that's not my problem. And that's kind of another breaking point for me. I can see that. I, to- I can agree with that, too. Especially when Supergirl came around. I mean, granted, we've had like a bunch of Supergirls before that, but the fact that he said none of those other ones count, this one counts now. I love the Matrix Supergirl, so that was kind of... I wouldn't say a slap in the face. It just it just bothered me. Because it's kind of like a kid in a playground saying, this is how it goes. I don't care what you say. That's it. Or I'm right, and whatever you guys say, no. And now I'm rambling. <laughs> no, Scott was yelling at me because I was trying to type something into the chat and it was making sounds. I apologize. No, no, it's cool. I wasn't yelling at you. I could just hear somebody typing. Uh, Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm actually going to take my next two. Uh, Meanwhile, Scott's belching and farting. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, because of time restrictions and such, I am actually going to um, take my next two at once because I, I may have to go before the episode is oh, over. You're going to miss my epic rant at the end. Oh, but but you see, I get to hear it as a listener, and that's more <sighs> But it's more fun to have you here back me up, but that's okay. Go ahead. Um, but my my next two, and they're connected, so I'll, I'll do one and then the other. Uh, number two is Gary Frank. I used to love this guy. When he was on the Hulk, I thought it was awesome. When he was on Supergirl, I thought it was awesome. And then somewhere along the line, he decided everybody needs to look like they're on heroin. (laughs) And I was just like, God damn it. And then the thing about Gary Frank is everyone's like, I love Gary Frank. He draws him to look just like Christopher Reeve. God, that's creepy. It is. It, it, it's almost offensive, really. Yep. To have him look like Christopher Reeve so closely, because you know, you look at John Byrne when he was doing Superman, uh, you know, especially in Man of Steel and all that, you would see echoes of Christopher Reeve every once in a while, mm-hmm. in a look or a smile. But when you see a John Byrne Superman, it looks like John Byrne drawing Superman. Right. You know. When you see Christopher Reeve, you're like, one, the guy's dead, and two, before he died, he looked nothing like this. Right. So, I mean, it's and, – and here's the thing. Here is here – is, it plays into another problem I have with how things are going currently is that if you don't like what a certain artist is doing, they'll go, well, I'm just doing it because I love Christopher Reeve and I love his version of Superman and it means a lot to me. So basically what they're saying is you can't say anything bad about it because I'm doing something that I feel very strongly about. And that's just a bunch of horse shit. Mm-hmm. That's, like, that's, like, that's like 16 feet of horse shit. I call that the artistic Mexican standoff <laughs> and it gets pulled a lot by by artists. And, it, and it's hard to... Um, call people on that you know what i mean yeah because because then you end up looking like a dick yeah yeah but at the same time you have that sneaking suspicious suspicion that's absolutely positively probably right that they're full of absolute shit well even if they're not (laughs) even if they're not full of absolute shit 
obviously they're doing something, and maybe someone should point it out to them. Like, no one on the set of Dark Knight told Christian Bale, dude, your Batman voice fucking sucks. And it just kept getting worse throughout the course of the film. No, they were probably telling him just the opposite. Yeah, it's just like, you know, you get a bunch of yes men. So, you know, I don't know if it's a DC directive. I don't know if it's what Gary Frank really wants to do. I don't know if he did it once and he got a lot of positive feedback, so he keeps doing it. But I swear to God, when I'm looking through Secret Origin, Superman Secret Origin, it's like I'm looking through my fucking Topps trading card set for the first movie. Yeah. I mean, just, oh, God. And that bothers me. Because I don't want to see Christopher Reeve. I want to see Gary Frank's take on Superman. It's like, well, maybe his take on Superman is Christopher Reeve. Then you're a poor fucking artist. I'm sorry. You gotta stretch yourself. You know, think about what I, you know, put your individual stamp on the character. Because when he drew Supergirl, she looked nothing like Helen Slater. And his Lex Luthor looks nothing like Gene Hackman. That's a good point. That's a very good point. So, but, um, uh, but my number one, and I hate this, this is the one, even more so, I think, than James Robinson that gets me, because I used to be a big backer of this guy, and I used to defend him, and I used to Uh hold him in such high regard. Jeff Johns. When Jeff Johns first hit the scene back in 99, and he wrote... Uh, Stars and Stripes, which I didn't read at the time, but I read later and liked. Uh, the, the first time I really came into contact with him was on JSA. And I loved his JSA. Uh, you know, when he was working alone or working with David Goyer, I thought he brought a majesty to these characters that they really needed. He brought a, brought a respect, uh, especially after Zero Hour once again tried to brush them under the rug. And make them irrelevant and say, well, they need to go away. He, he said, no, there's a heritage to the DC Universe, and these guys play in that. And, and, and his, his pinnacle, outside of writing a really good run on The Flash, was that he brought Hawkman back and made sense of everything. But what he basically said is, well, it all works. It all happened in a way. And unfortunately, apparently he liked that so much that he's done it again and again and again. <laughs> he did that with Toy Man and then turned around in the very next storyline and did it with Brainiac. And everyone's like, God, this is great. Everything with Toy Man is right and everything with Brainiac is right. And I'm like, no. At first I was like, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. But then I started thinking about it rationally and dissecting it. And I'm like, if you say that everything counts, then nothing is special and nothing has its own identity. And you aren't bringing anything of your own to it. It's like when he when he took over Superman fully uh, after the Up, Up, and Away arc, he just fell in line with the movie. It's like in Up, Up, and Away, Clark Kent was this dynamic character who was a good reporter, and he had the respect of everybody around him. And immediately when he starts working with Richard Donner, no, Clark Kent has to be this complete schlub that no one likes, and everyone wonders why Lois is fucking married to him. And, and and you know what? That's not me seeing it like that. That's me reading the little backup thing in the Action Comics annual that took fucking forever to come out. Right. Uh, where it's like, no, it's just like he's a big dork and no one even likes him and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, great. Thank you for ruining 20 years of a great fucking character, you dick. 
But here's the thing. <laughs> In The Flash, everyone's like, well, he reinvigorated the rogues. He made the rogues so dynamic. He made new characters and, and just used the same old name. And that's not really fixing a character. That's creating a new character and calling it Captain Cold. And it's so one-dimensional. Everyone's like, well, his characters are so layered. No, he finds the one personality quirk, and that's what he works with. And that's a shitty way to write. If you're saying, oh, well, he's just like this, so this is how he's going to react all the time, that's fucking bullshit. Yeah, some people are like that, but the great thing about... Oh, God, I can't even... I'm going to stop that line of thinking because it's going to lead to more swearing. But but my <laughs> biggest problem is that, one, his man crush on Hal Jordan that goes above and beyond anything I've ever seen. I, it's like the, the love that dare not speak its name almost. <laughs> but here's the biggest thing. Everyone says, and I've mentioned this on a couple shows recently, so I apologize if it seems like I'm repeating myself, but everyone says, oh, Jeff Johns loves continuity. He loves continuity. Look at how much respect he has for the history of these characters. I mean, look, everything matters. Everything happened. Except when you make Carol Ferris's father an invalid, when he was, ama- when he was you know kind of an important supporting character at various points in Green Lantern's history. Or, better yet, let's not have it that Barry Allen became the Flash and a police scientist because, well, he was good at science and he wanted to do the right thing. No, his father was accused of killing his mother and went to jail for it. He could never prove that his father didn't do it, so that's what drove him to be a police scientist. Thereby negating a lot of really great stories in the Flash's history. And just going back and saying, oh, those, those all didn't happen or didn't don't matter. And that's not having respect for continuity. The one Scott and I talked about most recently is Power Girl's rose-tinted view of how Earth 2 really went. Right. Because I'm really, really wondering if Jeff Johns has actually read those issues with Power Girl in it. Or if he just looked at it and said, oh, well, this is probably how it happened. Because in Infinite Crisis, she's like, I remember everything. You took me in. I was like your daughter. We had Christmases together. And in in All-Star Comics, she wanted to get the fuck away from him as fast as possible. Right. And, yeah, you could probably explain that as, oh, she's just trying to look at it because, you know, it's been missing for so long. And she wants to see the best in it. You can... Do that, but don't like make don't lie to the reader <laughs> and try to make it something it wasn't. So I know he's a sacred cow. I know everyone loves Jeff Johns. I know everyone's excited that he's now the chief creative officer of DC Comics and he's involved in the movies and you know he's the Brian Michael Bendis of DC and he you know now he he's going to put his stamp on everything and what that says to me is that the DC universe is going to become the most boring place on the face of the planet because you have one guy coming up with all the concepts and his big idea is everything counts Can I Here add it. something to that? Sure. I love the guy like I remember picking up, I think, JSA number six when he did the Black Adam issue, and I loved it. But for the past year and a half, I've been really burned on him because every time I pick up a mini he does, it is constantly late. 
Legion of Three Worlds, Flash Rebirth, Superman Secret Origin, and somehow it always gets blamed on the artist. I can't stand late comics, and worst off, I remember I met him once, and the guy's cool as shit. And I asked yeah, he's him, you probably know, a great guy to talk to. That's he's not amazing. The <laughs> but like when I asked him about you know late comic stuff, he's like, yeah, I don't really like it, but I mean, most of the time, you know, it's it's the artist. I have no control. That can't be the case consistently because I've seen something like George Perez. I can understand he needs to take his time. Ethan Van Skyver. Well, well G- George Perez said Jeff Johns broke him. So at yeah. Dragon Con last year, he was talking about the fact that most most writers like give him a big scene to do and just assume he'll put more characters in. Jeff Johns wrote it so that he had more characters in there. But it's this idea that I mean, he takes on so much work and it constantly gets late, and there's nothing we can really do about it because if you speak out against it. In most circles, you're labeled a whiny fanboy. And the fact that John's he's kind of got this shield around him where you can't really say anything bad because of all the good that he's done, but he's constantly late, too. So that's well, a big problem for me. Well, well, here's the point where fans should have got up and given him the big middle finger because he did it to them. Legion of Three Worlds, number exactly. five. This is where his stock with me plummeted. Yeah, me too. Because... He he ends the series by having Superboy Prime, who he always referred to as like the whiny fanboy on the internet, go back to Earth Prime, our world, by the way. And what does he do? He 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 lives. He's in the basement. His mother's making him a sandwich and ironing his you know his T-shirt and taking care of his every whim. And he's going to go on the internet and he's going to bitch about things. Fuck you. Right. You know, if you're seriously going to look at your audience and say that and expect us all to go, yeah, that's not me. He's making fun of that type of fan. Then one, you have absolutely no solidarity with your people. Right. And two, the guy's making fun of you. He's taking out his frustrations he feels about internet fandom and what people say about him and his ilk on the uh, on the web and, and directing it back at them like a fucking schoolboy going na 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 na. Are you serious? Are are you aren't you a professional writer? You know, you get paid to do this shit. Now, I'm not saying that you should be happy about people saying bad shit about you on the internet, but just don't go to the fucking internet. You know, do your work, do what you want, and to, to if you feel strongly enough about what you're doing, then what I say or what any of us say shouldn't matter. But if you're going to direct that ire towards us, you have lost just about every bit of credibility you've built up. And that's, that's even worse than somebody just being kind of an asshole in general about things, you know? Like, you disagree with something, like, like, we'll go back to John Byrne for just a second. You know, back around the time of the first Fantastic Four film, there was the kerfuffle that he said that all Latino women who have blonde hair look like prostitutes. You know, and everyone jumped on that saying, oh, he shouldn't have said that. At least it wasn't, he wasn't saying, well, all fans who complain on the internet are just idiots who live in their parents' basement and eat sandwiches made by their mother and have no social skills. I mean, that's two completely different things. But he gets to get away from it, get away with it, because he's Jeff fucking Johns. <laughs> but, but that's really all I have to say about it. 
<laughs> whose turn is it now? I don't. I kind of <laughs> lost track. Wow. Yeah. I'll go. Sorry. <laughs> Dave Gibbons. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't like him. I just don't think he's much better than an average artist. I think he's... I mean... Like... Okay, let's... uh, Let's just take Watchmen. I think his art was great in Watchmen just because I think he was the right choice for what Alan Moore... You know, he didn't want something... He wanted the focus on the story... And to make it look more just sort of like an average comic book, maybe? I don't know. But I've always thought he was just sort of a decent comic book artist. I've never seen what the big deal was about his his art, to tell you the truth. Nothing against the guy, though. <laughs> no, I got your back on that, because when... When he did Watchmen, for example, and and became so huge off of that, I was like, wow, does nobody remember when he was drawing Green Lantern and everybody was going, wow, this is really boring. Oh, I remember boring. that. You know? So, yeah. 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 I always just thought, yeah, he always, I mean, his characters always look kind of static and and stiff. And there's some weird, like, some of his proportions are kind of weird too, you know, like around the chest and face area. I don't know. I just never, never saw what the big deal was, you know. I couldn't pick his art out from a room full of assholes. Nah, not that harsh, but <laughs> it just, it, yeah, it just always seemed like. Uh, and and he's British, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like Alan Moore, and and it has that British sort of feel to it that reminds me of the old um remember those prog comics that i had with judge dread in them and stuff scott that i got at that um auction when we were kids yeah i think he had some art in those too and uh i think he might have actually done some of the art on the early doctor who i love comics. those doctor who's i did too the the early marvel premiere ones so but um yeah. Yeah. That's that's about all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay. I just Thanks yeah, I just can't wind myself up as as much as you guys tonight. I had a pretty um mellow day though myself. Well, see, I'm I'm saving all mine for my for my last one because I don't hate any of these people except the last one. Oh, so. Uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm saving it all. Am I up next? I'm yeah. saving all my hate for you. <laughs> but, guys, it was a lot of fun. It really was. Jose, it was great recording with you. Thank getting you. Getting to interact with you. I, I really had a good time. And, Scott, as always, preach it, brother. <laughs> and, and this was my first time getting to hear the uh, Michael Bailey on a soapbox. I was enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Thank yeah, usually I'm pretty mellow, but... Yeah, you are. Every, every once in a while, you get me on a good night, no? Yeah, I... Make a fool of myself. So, you guys have fun, and Scott, I cannot wait to hear your rant. Okay. <laughs> but you all take it easy, and Scott, do you have to drop me from the call, or do I? can I just drop out? Uh, let's see. I don't think that... 
dropping you out or having you drop out will do anything to the recording. Okay. Now, so it should be good. Wor- worst comes to worst, I have all of this recorded. Okay. So if you need it, I have it, and it's been a really clear call. So okay. everything's been cool. So All right. I'll talk to everybody later. Have all a good right. night. Good Take night. care, man. All right, see you. All right, so I think it's uh, I think we're up to number twos now, right? I think you're next. Am I next? I think it's in Chris go last. I just went. Yep. I just Is that went your with. number two, Chris? That was the last on my list, but I do have a. Um, oh, okay. I do have an honorable mention that I can mention. Okay. Well, I've still got two, so I'm at my number two right now. This one's a big one. I'm not bringing any hate. I don't hate this guy. As a matter of fact, I deeply, deeply respect his work and his work ethic and everything he brought to comics and everything. I've just never been a fan of his art. Uh, and and I think he's just way, way, way overrated uh, over, uh, and everything. Uh, and that's Jack Kirby. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. And I know it's, uh, yeah, I know I'm opening my brain to a lot of criticism. Stopped on him for a second, but I just was like, you know, I used to not like him, but now I really like, can really appreciate what he did. And right. Yeah. Yeah. But I can, I, I understand. I think I see where you're coming from, you know, since he is called Jack. King. King. And I that's <laughs> always bothered me. It's always bothered me because I I think it's more of a I just think it's a rap, you know? I but I don't, you know Well, I think from if you go in by that time period and stuff, Ditko has as much you know, claim to that throne as being a I think there's a lot of people that do. I think uh, I think Carmine Infantino has just as much claim to that. I think there's a, there's a lot of people in that era that were as good or better or you know, and even since that point, for him to still be held up as some sort of like this is as good as comics ever got, I just I, I just don't see it. I, I, I think that there's a lot of artists. That, you know, maybe they even borrowed from him or, or, or took something from him. But I, I think that there's just artists that are that are better out there. And for this to be the guy that's held up to the rest of the world, you know, the, the non-comics people and, and saying, you know, th- this is the dude, you know, I just it's always bugged me. It's always driven me a little bit crazy. And I realize a lot of that comes from just when we grew up, you know, where he was well past his glory days, you know, and, and, and doing shit like, you know, Devil Dinosaur and stuff like that that was, you know, so... Captain Victory. And- yeah, so far removed from, you know, his glory days. I, I fully realize that, but even looking back to the stuff that is the most lauded material he ever did, I just don't see it. You know, I I see, you know, a, a certain design style or a certain aesthetic, but it's the finished product that I look at in the end and go, you know, this just isn't attractive. You know, I, I appreciate the layout of this. Now get me an artist that's visually appealing to finish the job, you know? Yeah. But it's his finished material that that's held up as 
you know, being so wonderful, that's what I don't see. You know, the fucking square fingers and everything's square and blocky and bizarre and people are in these odd positions like they've had some horrible spinal injury or something and I just it just puts me off. I've just never appreciated it. And everybody looks like a bizarro. You know, they're so angular. It's just and kind of squat and compact and muscular. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's just as you know, maybe it was because I later went into underground comics which would have more of a stylized they, so it reminds me more of that now, you know, when I look at it. And there's and the thing was there was a consistency to his style right. and the way he used it. So it was like, okay, when you saw something that Jack Kirby was doing, you were like, okay, how is he going to approach presenting this, you know? And it, it was just iconic because it was his own style. You know, the way he portrayed just space, you know, or machinery or stuff, you know. There's there's still people who talk about Kirby machines, you know, or Kirby balls in space and stuff like that. Right. And the because, Kirby crackle. Kirby crackle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, that says something to you when you've got stuff like that named after you. Maybe it says something about the, you know, comic writers you know, or comic critical writers or whatever reviewers or but um you know a lot of other artists love him too so you know there's yeah. there's validity to the greatness of jack kirby but i understand what you say i don't his his stuff isn't as isn't as pleasing to the eye exactly. as other stuff that i like but i've i've grown to like him and appreciate him more over the years rather than Less, but I started out with a very low appreciation of him too, so I had nowhere to go but up. But uh, I don't think that's so scandalous because overrated doesn't mean bad. You know what I mean? Right. Overrated doesn't even mean not good. It doesn't even mean mediocre. It could you could still be a great artist. You could still be a you know an iconic or trailblazing artist. But there's just a point where. You know, enough is enough. Enough is enough. <laughs> well, that's Eat it. Spinach, you brat. So we're back, back to Jose, right? Yeah, and uh, there's a few I could have picked for my last one. A lot of big names and stuff, but the one that I kind of feel is the most overrated, and it's somebody I loved as a kid. I'm gonna have to go with Alex Ross. He's on my honorable mention list, actually. Yeah. When I was a kid and Marvels came out, it was the greatest thing since sliced bread because it was photorealistic art and I really got into it. And then Kingdom Come came out and because I'm a DC kind of guy, it was just like everything awesome. After that, nothing grabbed me. And my aunt, the one who gave me a, a big portion of my comic collection, gave me the, the mythology Alex Ross book. And I'm looking through it and a lot of the art looks the same. You can start recognizing his patterns. And eventually... What made it so special was that he'd do something every now and then. Once he started doing regular work, uh, I, I didn't care. How many times can you see Captain Marvel? I mean, I, I love Captain Marvel, but how many times can you see him do, you know, his, his very muscular, masculine Wonder Woman or him, you know, praising Batman? Eventually, you just lose the flavor of it. It keeps getting continuous. Yep. And then he didn't do a lot of interior work, too. A lot of his stuff became covers, so if 
you picked up a Dynamite comic in the last year and a half, chances are I had an Alex Ross cover on it. And eventually you just don't care anymore. I could care less about Project Superpowers or everything else because all his stuff looks the same. I think he is the, the, the epitome of the expression that familiarity breeds contempt. Because I loved the guy too when he first came along. But when he first came along... It was the occasional project. You know, it was like once a year or something like that. He would put out some thing that would make a big splash, you know, whether it was uh, Marvels or Kingdom Come or Superman Peace on Earth. I actually like to call it Piss on Earth just to just to <laughs> make fun of it. But, but yeah, but then it became more often and more often and more often to a point so like you say it, it became oversaturation to where it seemed like every goddamn comic comic book cover that was out there was either Alex Ross or it had an Alex Ross variant and i, I so i think it was overexposure i think it was like i say you know the the familiarity breeds contempt and i think also for me personally it was the fact some of his characters you know, I just really don't like his... For one thing, he can't draw women for shit. All of nope. his women look like they're dudes. You know, like, like they're in drag. One, his Wonder Woman is damn ugly. And if there's one character in all of comicdom that shouldn't ever be ugly, it's Wonder Woman. And I... So when an artist is actually able to take Wonder Woman, especially Linda Carter, and make her ugly, it's like, wow, dude, you're just not doing your fucking job right, you know? So I don't like the way he draws. I don't like his Batman. I like mo the way he's able to take characters, draw them extremely realistically to where they really look like this is probably what it would look like if this dude really existed in the w real world. But his Batman doesn't work for me for exactly that same reason. Because Batman, I think that's one of the reasons I don't like any of the live-action Batman movies, is that Batman, to me, just doesn't work in the real world. He, he The way he works and the way like his, his costume and his cape and everything function in comics, I just don't think it translates to the real world. And so when he draws that character in that real-world style, it loses something. It looks like a dude dressed up in a Batman costume. It doesn't look like like Batman being cool to me. I, I, just, I don't know. It's hard for me to explain. It just doesn't work. And that's what he's become big for. That's like his one note. And when that one note wears off, then you're just left with looking at it and going, oh, Christ, Alex Ross again. And somewhere along the line, I, I crossed that barrier a long time ago where it just became, Jesus, you know, how many Alex Ross covers can you have on Justice Society? You know, every single cover was one of his. And it was, yeah, I got really tired of him. And the one thing that really, really got me was I got to meet him a few days before my birthday, like a few years ago. And somebody told me that there was a Starman poster out of the covers of a certain storyline. And me, I'm all about Starman. And there was like six Starman on that poster. And my favorite Jack looked atrocious. And I'm wondering how that was possible. Because out of all those characters, he must have been the simplest to paint, the simplest to draw. And it looked, it looked like a mannequin almost. It looked so stiff. And 
I don't, maybe that might have been like when I stopped really liking his art, and that's kind of a stupid reason why. But I mean, when you have characters you're so emotionally attached to, and you kind of see them in like a different setting, you want to see them in their best light. And for that poster, I don't think he made Jack in the best of light. It kind of looked rushed. So there you go. Yep. I, I, I will completely agree with that. Don't get me wrong, I love that poster. I have that poster. It's a signed Alex Ross Starman poster. That's like one of my most prized possessions, but that experience always just threw me off. Chris? My last one was really just an honorable mention, and it was uh, <clears throat> someone, again, I've always liked, sort of, I have a lot of his work, but uh, Klaus Janssen. Yeah. I I I thought he was a great inker for a lot of people, especially Frank Miller. But on his own, ugh, really, yep. really, really like sloppy. Yep. <laughs> and very badly proportioned and sketchy. I just never I it was always sort of like a third rate Frank Miller, you know, it was almost like Someone took Frank Miller's pencils out from under the inks and they got a little floppy or something. I don't know. But uh, but um, just to add to the Alex Ross thing, I always thought he was kind of a, um, I don't want to say a gimmick, but more like someone you would want to see paint a poster. Right. Rather than have anything to do with the, you know. I, I always looked at his art as being like, this is comics pretending to be fine art, you know? And uh, I like the painted comic look better when it was a little more expressionistic, like Sienkiewicz or something like that, you know, or a little more experimental instead of this formal yet stylized. I don't know. I just never liked it. The realistic yet really not like real reality. Yeah, uh, he did Uncle Sam too, right? Yes, right. I th- yeah, okay. I remember. I actually I own Uncle Sam, and I remember being like uh, torn because I think his art is gorgeous, but it doesn't feel like reading a comic book to me. You know, it feels like it almost takes away from the story and stuff because so much work has to be put into the art. That you have to sort of simpli- you you have to sort of simplify the story to in order to make it possible to do this insanely gorgeous art, you know. I don't know. No, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's the same thing I was trying to put into words is that I wish I would have thought of that that guy. You know, comics they have for for me and I think for a lot of people, they have a, a certain feel they they work in a certain way when they work best because they're that marriage of of the written word and this stylized art that we think of as comic books and yeah and and when you get past a, a, a a particular line and i have no idea where that line in the sand is but I think Alex Ross, when he started, was kind of on the border of that line. And at some point, I think he crossed it into he, he's got this 
art style that that's more real world, more realistic that that looks like a, a, an an actor or a model posing in a costume than it looks like comic books. And when you cross that line, I think that's when you've got potential to lose people. And that's where he's like lost. a fumetti. Yeah, and and that's my problem with like Batman movies. You know, the live action ones is that you've crossed that line to where this doesn't look like a comic book to me anymore. It looks like a guy running around in a funny costume. And some of them work. Like you can take Superman and I think Superman can work in real world like like the Chris Reeve movies. I think uh you know, the Hulk when he was the CGI and he and either one of the movies I think that works but to a certain you know there's a lot of characters that I don't think they do because it doesn't it it's not enough like that comic book visual language to to make it feel true no matter how hard you know, no matter how close it may be to the writing style, no matter how hard they try to match the visuals, there's certain characters that in the real world just don't work the same way. I think Spider-Man was another one. As much as I really did dig Spider-Man 2 and 3, really detested the first movie, I have to be honest with you. But as much as I liked the other two, there was still something that nagged the back of my brain when I watched those movies that just made me feel weird and uncomfortable. And ultimately, I think that's what it is, is that it, it's, you, you, you've crossed a dimensional plane, if you will, from where this no longer is comics to where it's, it's a guy in a costume and it just doesn't have the same vibe to it and so i don't know if that's what you were getting at with the alex ross thing that then i then i agree with you you know what i mean that yeah that's, definitely that's, the, that's what i was getting at. yeah that's exactly how it feels to me with alex ross is that they don't look like they could function in in comics so you you, you know the same way you can't take you can't literally reach into, you know, say, I don't know, like a like a Jim Apparel Batman comic and pull that character out into the real world. I don't think you can take a an Alex Ross Batman, for example, and put him into the comics and have it work. Because I looked at that, what, what was it called? War on Crime, I think. One shot that he did, and I just, I didn't like it. It was stiff and unpleasant looking it wasn't visually appealing because it didn't look like a comic book it looked like a like a model in a bat costume posing for shots and it just didn't yeah it's like formal you know it's yeah. not like yeah yeah i i completely agree so i i think that there there is a fine line somewhere in the in the comic book, you know, that's inherent in comics, where they have to have, a, a, you know, they have to leave the real world behind at some point. There's some point that they cross to where it's now you're talking comics. Now you're looking at a comic book as opposed to 
a picture of the real world. And I, I have no idea where that is. But the best comic book artists, in my opinion, are the ones that work within that world. And they, and they don't try to show you the picture outside your window. You know? I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's just my definition of, of good comics right there. And the, and the ones that try, I, I think that's why there's been such a backlash against guys. And I, I'm blanking on the artist's name right now, but there was a, an artist I remember that people kept bitching about that kept using photo reference all the time. I want to say he oh. might have been dare, a daredevil artist, but I can't remember. Greg Land. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. And I think that's why is that, you know, I know a lot of people were saying, oh, it's just lazy, but also maybe even subconsciously, whether they realized it or not, you know, subconsciously what they were also bitching about was that it didn't feel like comics to them because he was taking the real world, you know, tracing over it and putting it in there. And that's not comics to most people, especially it's like a color form. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I can I can totally buy that criticism. I really can. Well, wrapping this one up, I am up next, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Now I think I was very nice in everything else that I talked about. All the other people, I I, I tried to express very much. I had nothing personal against any of these people. I wasn't bringing hate. I was just saying, I, you know, my personal taste and, and all that sort of thing. All that shit's out the window when it gets to my number one. Can't stand this Uh-oh. fucking guy. I can't stand him as a human being and I can't stand him as a fucking writer. He's the only writer that made my list. I know it's going to piss people off. One of the people I know, he's a good friend of mine and I'm not doing it to pick on him. I know that we disagree on this thing, but I, I just, I gotta call it like I see it. I wish this fucking guy would stop writing comics because he's no damn good at it anymore. And I only ever thought he was good at it for about five minutes anyway. And it's Grant fucking Morris. You suck. Thank you. And that is his middle name. I looked it up. I cannot stand this fucking guy. I reject outright the notion that he's brilliant beyond brilliant and so much smarter than the rest of the human race and that if you don't like him that there's something inherently wrong with you that's horseshit i reject the notion that you just you know, don't get it man yeah, exactly. you just don't, get, you don't it. get it man you're fucking stupid man. yeah i reject that bullshit i've been reading comics for over 30 years and there's not something wrong with me if I don't understand when somebody can't write a coherent fucking story, there's something wrong with the writer because the impetus is on him to make me understand it. It's not on me to go out and research the Encyclopedia Britannica to try to figure out what the fuck is this guy talking about. It's not. It's not on me. So I'm, I'm sick of this fucking guy. And what put me over the edge from from going, you know, maybe this guy's just not for me, to really being an outright, if you want to call it a hater, then I'll, I'll gladly wear that label, is ironically the episode I did with Chris Johnson where we talked about Batman Arkham Asylum. I did that episode with Chris because I really wanted to understand 
what is it about this book that everybody else is seeing that I'm not seeing? And we did the episode, and he explained it. And when it was revealed to me that ultimately my problems with this book stem from the fact that the entire book is a dream... I just, it took me a while to assimilate that information, but once I did, I I just came to the realization that it's utter and complete bullshit. It's such a fucking cop out. Because if you're going to make a story a dream, but you're not going to actually tell anybody, you can write the most just weird and screwed up horseshit that you want to write, and you've built in a defense mechanism to where nobody can can logically criticize it because anything can happen in a dream i mean any weird shit that you can possibly think of could happen in in a dream so he doesn't by by doing that he doesn't even have to play by the fucking rules of how you build a story and you pay attention to characterization you know, an established characterization and, and continuity and things like that. So that's why that story reads the way it does. It's why it doesn't make any goddamn sense. And I just, I reject that. I feel ripped off by that story because I want to know that shit going into it. That if you're going to write something that ultimately is completely fucking irrelevant, I won't waste my money on it. And I think that's why. He, neither he nor DC at the time that that book came out bothered to say anything about it because they knew that there would be people like me that would go, well, if it's all a dream, I'm not wasting 25 bucks on that. And he's continued to get higher and weirder as time goes on. And it seems that the wackier and weirder shit that he writes the more these apologists just love the fucking guy. I don't get it. I'm completely mystified by the popularity that this guy has. I think a lot of people haven't gotten their hands on something that's genuinely weird and good a lot right. of times. So so that's the, you know, and of course, a lot of times it's the most present. Um, pretentious example of that stuff right. it gets noticed by people first yeah but uh that's what yeah i've i've noted i i have limited experience reading his stuff but i he always reminded me of sort of an alan moore wannabe yes you know he wanted to do the stuff that alan moore does but he doesn't have the depth of right because Alan Moore will weave all that stuff that you would have to read the encyclopedia britannica to get but he that would just be frosting on the cake you know you don't need that to understand an alan moore story it's just something if you do know it it's like oh that's cool but um so i have no problem with layers i have no problem with metatextual i have no problem with super intellectual and things like i don't because i enjoy the hell out of alan moore What I have a problem with is somebody that takes a bunch of drugs and writes a bunch of horseshit 
that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And then a bunch of people that I strongly suspect don't understand it any more than I do because there is nothing to understand. Hold it up and praise it and everything because it's somehow the cool thing to do. Hey, that sounds like my band, except without the praise. <laughs> you know, I, okay. we're getting back to that artistic Mexican standoff, man. Where yeah, you it, know, it's you know, somebody I want to say it might have been Mike described it very well as it's a cult of personality. It, it comes down to it doesn't even have to be good. It doesn't have to stand on any merits of its own. It's just there's this this aura that surrounds it that's supposed to protect it from intelligence debate or or being looked at in any sort of a of a critical manner to try to see does this have merit you know does this have any artistic value that just because it has a name atta- attached to it in this case Grant Morrison's that that it's protected in this little force field where it where it just can't be criticized that that's fucking bullshit i mean who lives in that bubble you know I mean, even the people, I'm sorry, pretentious people. Bad yeah, people. you're right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the Beatles didn't have that, you know? So how did we get to that point in this day and age that, that sheer pomposity and, and pretentiousness is this impenetrable force field that some people seem to have? I, I, I'm mystified. I'm absolutely mystified by it it's always been there you know there weren't the beatles but they were the moody blues <laughs> the moody blues I, were pretentious motherfuckers you know at that time and people listened to that and they said listen to this deep stuff I like listen to this man breathe deep the gathering gloom watch light fade on every moon my biggest problem was what uh what a lot of people have a problem with is what he did to batman it's because of Grant Morrison we have the, if I have enough time to prepare, you're basically going to be taking down Batman. It's the, I'm so moody, don't come near me, but I have to be on every team Batman. Right. Because of him, because of him, I stopped reading Batman. I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take the idea that I have enough people kissing Batman's ass in all media. I did not need Grant Morrison doing it even more. I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that completely. He did it one time in that opening of the first four issues of JLA. It was fine, but eventually we got to a point where he has plans to take down all his friends. But if you bring it up to him, he's going to walk away being a crybaby because all his friends betrayed him or something. And it seems cool for like the 90s and the early 2000s. It's, it's not good storytelling. No, it's not. You're trying to force something on a character that's not there, but because it's dark and brooding, everybody loves it. It just bothers me when there are people in comics that by some means get to be a superstar. And so they're allowed to do anything and everything they want to do. They're given complete free reign. And even when they clearly don't fucking get a character or even in some cases a whole universe of characters, they're still allowed to run with it. And that really, it, it, it mystifies me, but it also really pisses me off. 
because there are a lot of other talents in comics that do understand a given character or a given set of parameters. They know, and basically they know how to make good comics within the American comics model and they can't get work or they can't get a steady gig or they, they can't get the characters that they want or the titles that they want to work on. Yet guys like Grant Morrison, you know, the masses have really horrible taste. That's why you have movies still with Jerry Bruckheimer's name on them. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I'm getting at though? It, It really does bother me because now, I don't want to sound, um, I don't know what the term would be, but I'm not busting on British writers or British people by any means saying this, but I have a problem with there being so many foreign writers that come to America and they get their hands on a character like, say, Superman, clearly don't understand the basic conceits that make that character what he is. And then they want to fuck with him. Morrison is a perfect example of this. Grant Morrison does not fucking understand Superman or how he functions or what makes Superman Superman. He just doesn't. He's one of these guys where he sees the trappings and he can paint a picture but it's incomplete. It does not function the way that it should. I don't think he's very good with Batman, you know, for the reasons that you cited, Jose. I, I, I think it's another thing where he can take pieces and trappings, but ultimately he misses the mark. He doesn't understand how it works. And, and to a large degree, the reason I bring up the British thing is because I think that there's... I think the American part of those characters is a huge part of what makes them up. I think it's an American mentality. And these guys lack it because they're not Americans. And so they bring in some weird and wacky take on it that just is off and is off-putting. And I think that's a lot of it. I I think that's... uh, possibly some of the the reason behind the thing with uh now mark miller he's the one that did the the ultimates thing right right i think that's a lot of what was behind people's discomfort with with that story as well was that you know there were parts of it that that worked really well and parts of it that were very enjoyable but there were also a lot of parts of it that seemed like both trying to stereotype Americans in 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 the American comics model, but also there was a lot of it that seemed to be kind of bashing us too. It was very subtle, but it was there. And I think Morrison does that kind of thing too. But with him, I don't know if it's so much bashing. Bashing is that he just doesn't get it. You know, it's just not he's not able to work within the model the proper way. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's late and I'm not sure if I'm making a whole hell of a lot of sense, but it's just the, the feeling I get from the way he writes, uh, particular characters. 
Now, if he wants to do his weird and wacky shit, you know, in, in some sort of uh, Elseworlds project, or if he wants to take something that's off in left field, like the wacky shit he did with, like, Animal Man or Doom Patrol or something, that you know what? Knock yourself out, dude, because I could give two shits about Doom Patrol. But you don't take icons, you know, the, the backbone characters of a universe like Batman and Superman and do all that weird, druggy, freaky shit and expect me, who is a very mainstream, middle-of-the-road kind of guy when it comes to superheroes and comic books, to dig on it. Because I won't. I, I don't like that shit. It irritates the fuck out of me. Write it normal, you know? Make it make it real American comics and I'll dig it. You write that weird, bizarre fucking shit and it just loses me. And it just pisses me off because that's not the way I want these things to be handled. So I'll get down off my soapbox now. But yeah, Grant Morrison. Totally agree. Completely overrated. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the 2 True Freak section of the comicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. I'll get down off my soapbox now, but yeah, Grant Morrison. Totally agree. Completely overrated. And he'll never go away. That's the sad part. <laughs> we're, we're stuck with him. Well, I think I'm uh I think I'm tapped out, fellas. What are you guys filed out? Yeah, yeah. I've I've gotten about everybody I needed to get. That's all I got. 
Chris Johnson's going to hate this episode and probably stop being my friend, but I just uh, I had to call uh, it. Come on, you guys have you guys have been over that ground so many times before that he's just going to go. Oh, here it comes again. Okay. <laughs> probably. He knows how he know. You guys both know how each other's. I'm shocked nobody said Casada. <laughs>